Good morning once again and grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, today is the first Sunday of the new year. And if you look outside, it's actually snowing a little bit. So, not sticking to the streets, so don't worry. It is the first Sunday of the new year, and it's good to be together as the body of Christ to worship the Lord today. It's also a blessing to be able to come together to the Lord's table and celebrate and remember what Jesus did for us so that we could all be saved from our sins. We will come to the table together following the sermon. And again, for those of you who may be visiting with us, you do not need to be a member of our church to come forward for Holy Communion. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to come forward and receive the grace of God at his table today. (coughs) Excuse me. Today is also Epiphany Sunday on the church calendar. And Epiphany Sunday is associated with the visit of the wise men or the magi from the east who came to seek out and worship the newborn king of the Jews. We read this passage from Matthew's Gospel each Christmas Eve as part of our service. But, if you really look closely at the passage and what it teaches, it would seem that the Magi probably didn't show up on the night of Jesus' birth, but sometime later, after Joseph and Mary had moved into a house of some kind. Um, There are also many traditions concerning these wise men or Magi that have been passed down through the years. So we're going to look today at at a hymn that sings about them and at at really what the Word of God tells us as we explore once again the story that we're all very familiar with. For the past five weeks, I've taken one of the Christmas carols from the hymnal, and we've looked at them, we've seen the stories behind them, and we discovered together what they had to teach us from God's Word about the coming of our Savior to earth and how we are then to respond to his coming. And there are two hymns in our hymnal that speak directly about this passage from Matthew 2. They are the carols, We Three Kings, and the one we just sung together, As With Gladness, Men of Old. Now, I've shared a message in the past, kind of centered around the message of the hymn, We Three Kings. And I just thought that maybe this time we would look at the other one, the one that Bobby Shaw just led us in, As With Gladness, Men of Old. This hymn is based on this passage from Matthew 2 that teaches us about these magi coming from the east to seek out this new king. So why don't we all turn there together once more, and I invite you to please take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and I invite you to please stand with me as you're able in honor of reading God's word. (coughs) This morning I'll be reading Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it begins on page 681. It's entitled, The Visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Oh, Lord, this is a a passage, a story that we are all probably very familiar with. (coughs) So, Lord, I just pray that you might open up our hearts and our minds to, to see this, Lord, maybe with new eyes today, to understand why you sent these magi, why you gave them a sign in the sky, why you led them, Lord, to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. Lord, as we look at this hymn, as it relates to these scriptures, Lord, open up our hearts once again to the message of why you sent your son to us. And Lord, as always, I pray that as we look at this, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, before we dig in and and look at the words of this hymn, and I'll have them up on the screen in just a little bit, let's get a little background as to where this hymn came from. This hymn was written by a man named William Chatterton Dix, and he wrote it on January 6, 1859, as he lay in bed on Epiphany Sunday recovering from an extended illness. He was home in bed, and he was upset that he couldn't attend the Epiphany service at his church. And as he was reading this account that we just read, the Epiphany account from Matthew 2, he was inspired by by the message that he read there, and he began to write down his thoughts throughout the day. And his writings eventually came together as this hymn that we have today. But he actually didn't share it with anyone until the following year when Epiphany Sunday came back around again and it was introduced to his church at that time. It was eventually published and shared with the world in the book Hymns for Public Worship and Private Devotion. I don't even know if that's, we even still have copies of that anywhere anymore. It's a really old, old hymn book, but that's where it was introduced. <coughs> have any of you ever taken a trip not knowing exactly where you were going? Some of you are saying yes, but most of the time, what do we do? We plan things out, don't we? We get out our maps. We, we, we see what highway we're going to take, how many hours we decide to drive, and we figure out where we might stop for a rest or for an overnight stay. Now, Sharon and I took a trip one year early in our marriage where we didn't really plan everything out ahead of time. We were going to be gone for a week or maybe a little more. I can't remember if it was just a week. Um, But we maybe had, I think, hotel nights for two nights planned ahead of time. The rest of the time, we ended up just driving and figuring out where we ended up at the end of the day. We flew into Boston, rented a car, and just simply drove north up the coast. We saw a lot of lighthouses. We explored whatever there was to see, again, not knowing where we might end up staying each night, but always finding a place to lay our heads down and rest. But that's not how 
Most of our trips are taken, are they? No, they're usually planned out way ahead of time. So we know each day where we're going, where we're going to be staying for the night. Well, these magi that we read about in Matthew 2 and in our hymn for today also took a long trip. And they probably knew or had a pretty good idea of where they were headed. They had seen a star in the sky announcing the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, many scholars believe that these wise men or magi had been trained in the science of astronomy. Astronomy is the branch of science that deals with all those celestial objects in space, all the things that we see in the sky. I want you to notice that I didn't say they'd been trained in astrology, but astronomy, because there is a difference. See, astrology is the study of the movements of the stars in the universe and then trying to somehow interpret them as somehow having some influence on human affairs and influence in our individual lives. This is what all those things like horoscopes and things are based on. It's on astrology, not astronomy, and there's a big difference between the two. And having studied the skies for a while, these magi saw what to them was a new star, one they had never seen before. And it was in the direction of the place that they assumed a new king of the Jews would be born. And that was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of the Jewish people. And if a new king was to be born, he certainly would be born there in the palace of the current king. So it just made sense that that was where they were headed. And our passage from Matthew tells us that Jerusalem is where they ended up. And once again, tradition has it that they followed the star all the way from the east, wherever in the east they had come from. There's debate about that. We're not going to get into all that this morning. But they had followed that star then all the way to Jerusalem. But that's not exactly what our passage tells us. These magi simply said that they had seen the star in the east that had announced the birth of the new king, and they'd come to worship him. And both of our epiphany hymns, We Three Kings, and As With Gladness Men of Old, seem to say that these magi followed the star all the way from the east to Jerusalem, again, following the tradition of the church, but not necessarily what the word of God says. And I know I might be saying some things here that you're not comfortable with because you've had this tradition all the time. But that's not what the Word of God (coughs) says. I'm sorry. The first verse of our hymn today simply says this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. As with gladness, men of old, did the wandering star behold, as with joy they hailed its light, leading onward, beaming bright, so most glorious Lord, may we evermore be led to thee. This phrase, the men of old, is referring to these magi or wise men from Matthew 2. And we're told in the hymn that they beheld the star with gladness. All we're told in the beginning of Matthew 2 is that the magi saw his star in the east and they had come to worship him. There's no mention of how they felt about seeing the star in the sky or about them being glad that they had come. I'm not saying that they weren't glad. They probably were. But there's no mention of it in the scriptures. And I think it's very possible that the hymn writer was referring to later on in the passage where it says that they left the king, 
went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Because that's really the only place in the story that the word of God tells us that they actually followed the star, right? Just for those six miles it took to get from them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And the phrase then, as with gladness, would then refer to verse 10, where it says that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When the star had first appeared, again in the east, it doesn't tell us how they felt, but when they saw the star again after leaving King Herod, they saw it as a sign from God that he was showing them the way to this new king. So at that point, they followed the star with gladness because they knew that they at last had come to the end of their long journey. So as the hymn states, they did hail the light of the star as it led them onward, beaming its light brightly, so they knew where the Christ child would be. But honestly, the message of the first verse is really in the last two lines. So, most gracious Lord, may we evermore be led to thee. Just as the Magi were led to the Christ child by the light of the star, so the people today are led to Christ, their Savior, by the one who came as the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Isaiah 9, verse 2, it was prophesied that the people walking in darkness would see a great light that on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Well, that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus came into the world. And just as the light of the star led the Magi to Christ, so the light of Christ himself and the light of God's holy word still lead people to Christ today. So indeed, may we evermore be led to Christ. The second verse says, As with joyful steps they sped to that lowly manger bed, there to bend the knee before him whom heaven and earth adore. So may we with willing feet ever seek thy mercy seat. Again, the steps of the Magi were joyful when they saw that star once again and were led to the place where the child was. But here again, tradition takes precedence over what the word of God says. Did their joyful steps lead them to a manger bed, as the hymn says, or did their joyful steps lead them to the house, where, as Matthew tells us, Mary and the child were? Again, I don't want to spoil everybody's pictures in your minds of what the manger scene looks like. And if you want to keep your wise men in your manger scenes at home, that's fine. No problem. But they most likely weren't there the night of Jesus' birth, but came a little later on. And the second verse says that they came to bend the knee before him whom both heaven and earth adore. And we see this played out, right, where our passage tells us that they bowed down and worshipped the Christ child. Why did they bow down and worship him? They bowed down because they knew that he had been born as the king. Right? They had said that early on. Where is this one who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, in a kingdom, when the king or queen entered the room, the people would bow down before them to show respect and honor. 
This was probably played out in the country or the region where these magi had come from every day. So when they bowed down, they were showing reverence for the newborn king. But our passage says that they also worshipped him. See, they knew that this one that they had traveled so far to see was no ordinary child. Now, whether they totally understood that this baby was God incarnate, we're not told. But they did bow down and worship him. And worship, true worship, is only to be directed toward God, never toward man. And I think this shows us a lot about their faith in God. You see, to the Magi, Jesus was a king. He possessed more royalty in that cradle than Herod had in his fine palace. Somehow these ones who had traveled so far saw beyond the present and saw into the future. And in deep faith, they bowed down and worshipped him. They somehow knew that this child would one day rule the world and they weren't ashamed to fall on their faces before him. I want you to think about the contrast in this story. We read earlier that the Magi had met King Herod, but were not told that they made any effort to bow down before him. But when they finally find this baby, King Jesus, these educated and extremely intelligent men fall on their faces before him. To this baby, they gave the honor that's due for a king. What Herod craved from everybody and probably didn't receive, this baby received. And again, the emphasis in the second verse is in the last two lines. So may we with willing feet ever seek thy mercy seat. It's interesting that the hymn writer uses the term mercy seat here. The concept of the mercy seat is first introduced to us in Exodus chapter 25, where the Lord is giving instructions about how the tabernacle and all of its furnishings were to be built. And it talks about building the Ark of the Covenant and how its covering was to be made of pure gold. And on top of that covering were these two golden cherubim with their wings outstretched toward the middle. After the description of the mercy seat, God told Moses in that passage that this would be the place where he would communicate with Moses and give his word to his people. This was also where the atoning sacrifice was offered. And in the description of that sacrifice, we find that this is where God lived for his people, at least symbolically. The mercy seat represented God's presence among his people. It was a holy place. So by using this term in his hymn, William Dix is saying that in the Christ child, we now have the presence of God among his people once again. Jesus, the baby born to Mary, was God incarnate. And just as the Magi willingly bent their knees and worshipped him, so we are called as well to willingly seek the presence of God the mercy seat of God, which now exists for us in the person of Jesus Christ. These wise men had traveled a great distance to seek out this one who had been born the king of the Jews. They sought him out. Do we actively seek out the Lord each and every day of our lives? Do we willingly seek out the presence of God in our lives as we go about our daily activities? Or do we leave that strictly for Sunday morning? 
If we go back to our scripture reading from last week from Isaiah 55, we're told to seek the Lord while he may be found. Because there will come a day when it will be too late to seek after the Lord. For he, he will have already come back for his church. So just as the Magi sought after the Lord, may we too seek after the presence of God each and every day of our lives. The third verse of our hymn says this, As they offered gifts most rare at that manger crude and bare, so may we, with holy joy, as Bobby was sharing with us, pure and free from sin's alloy, all our costliest treasures bring, Christ to thee, our heavenly king. Again, we're going to skip over the part that says they offered their gifts at the manger because it's really not so important where they offered their gifts. It's really what the gifts were and why they were offered. That's the most important. And I find it interesting that in this hymn, Dix doesn't mention what the gifts were that these magi gave. In the other hymn, We Three Kings, there's a separate verse dedicated to each one of those gifts. And there's definitely meaning behind each gift that was given. In our passage from Matthew, we're told that they presented this baby with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now, why would they give these kind of gifts to a baby? You're not going to find those kind of gifts at any baby shower today. You go to a baby shower, they're going to give you diapers and and burp cloths and bottles and whatever. These are different kind of gifts. Why would they give these kind of gifts to a baby? Well, gold is one of the rarest and most expensive of metals, and it represented the wealth and the power of a king. They saw this baby as a king, so they presented him with gold, the rare and precious metal. I find it interesting that in the NIV, it uses the term incense, where most other translations use the word frankincense. Frankincense was used in the temple worship of Almighty God. So it represents this baby's deity. He is truly God, born in a human body. See, in the Jewish temple, there was an altar for burning incense. The priest would sprinkle incense on the hot coals of the altar, and the smoke would rise up, symbolizing the prayers of God's people, going up to heaven as a fragrant offering, pleasing and acceptable to God. So in giving him frankincense, they were recognizing that this baby was more than human because frankincense was only used to worship holy God. Then there's the myrrh. Myrrh is a kind of perfume that's made from the leaves of a rose. And after a person died back in those days, myrrh was used to anoint the body and prepare it for burial. In fact, in John 19, verse 39, it tells us that after Jesus died, his body was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of myrrh and other spices. So this gift of myrrh then looks ahead, looks forward to this baby's future suffering and death. The gold pointed to his majesty, for he is the king. The frankincense pointed to his deity, for he is God. The myrrh pointed to his humanity, for he was destined to suffer and die for all mankind. Now, did the Magi totally understand all this when they gave these gifts? We don't know. They might have, they probably didn't. But God arranged it so that their gifts to the king in the cradle would point us 
to who Jesus really is and why he came. This third verse emphasizes the fact that because we have been freed from our sin, have been made pure in God's eyes once again, that that alloy of sin has been removed, that we then, with holy joy, should also bring our treasures to Christ, who is our heavenly king. Jesus told his followers once that they were not to lay up for themselves treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but that they were to lay up treasure where? In heaven. What kinds of treasure can we lay up in heaven? We lay up ourselves. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 1. The greatest gift we can give to Jesus is our heart, totally given over to him because we are now pure and free from sin's alloy through faith in his death and resurrection. May your life, may my life, be a gift offered up to Christ. The fourth verse of this hymn is simply a prayer. It's a prayer that states, Holy Jesus, every day, keep us in that narrow way. And when earthly things are past, bring our ransomed souls at last, where they need no star to guide, where no clouds thy glory hide. (coughs) Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14 tell us that we are to enter in through the narrow gate, the narrow way. For wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But narrow is the road or the way that leads to life. And we know that Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So we pray along with the hymn writer, Jesus, keep us in that narrow way. And we recognize as well that he is the one who has ransomed us from death. His death on the cross that we will remember and celebrate in just a few minutes. His death paid the price to set us free from our sin. And we trust him that when the time comes, in his timing, he will bring our ransomed souls home to be with him. And when that day comes, there will be no need of a star to guide us to him for we will be with him forever. And friends, nothing will hide his glory. His glory is hidden now for a time. But when Jesus comes back for his church, his glory will be revealed for all to see that he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's actually a fifth verse to this hymn that's not in our hymn books. And this verse verse looks forward to our eternity with the Lord. And it says this. In the heavenly country bright, need they no created light. Thou its light, its joy, its crown. Thou its sun which goes not down. There forever may we sing alleluias to our king. I don't know why they didn't put that verse in our hymn book. It's a wonderful verse. This verse paints a picture for us of what heaven will be like when we are with Christ for eternity. Luther shared a little bit about that when he led in the scripture reading this morning. That's kind of what the end of Revelation does. We will need no created light, for Christ himself will be our light. And this comes right out of Revelation 21, where it tells us that the heavenly city will not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God gives it light 
and the Lamb himself is its lamp. And our joy will then be complete. In John 15, when Jesus teaches his disciples that lesson about abiding in him and bearing fruit because they abide in him, he finishes that lesson by telling them that he has told them this so that, their, so that his joy, I'm sorry, would be in them and that, that their joy would be complete. Because we abide in Christ, not through our own power, but through his, our joy will be complete through his promise to take us home to be with him forever. This fifth verse ends with a picture. The picture of eternal singing and worshiping before the throne of God, forever singing our alleluias to our King. And this comes straight out of Revelation 19 in our scripture reading for this morning. Those in heaven were shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. There were three other times in that chapter where the hallelujah was shouted or sung. And friends, there's only one who was worthy of receiving that glory, honor, and praise. And that is the lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ, the holy lamb of God, who came to this earth as a baby. A baby that these magi worshipped and gave gifts to. This baby who then grew up to be a man. Who went to the cross for our sins so that we could become the bride of Christ. How can we not sing along with all of those saved in heaven, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns? That's how our hymn for today ends. And it's a fitting ending for us as well as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table and celebrate together the Lamb who was slain for our sins. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, we were all (coughs) stained with the alloy of sin. And because of that, we could not come before you, a holy God. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth. You came in a very special way. You were were worshipped, given gifts by these wise men, these magi, for they recognized that you were more than just a human baby. They knew that you were the king but probably not the kind of king that they thought was coming because your kingdom is not of this world. You are the king of heaven and earth. And you came to die. Jesus, I thank you that from eternity, present, past, you looked into into however time works with you, Lord. You looked and you saw me. And you saw each person here. And you saw that we would need a savior. Because sin's alloy was in us. So Jesus, you came. You came and you suffered and died for us. So that through faith in your blood that was shed on the cross. We could have that alloy of sin removed from us. And and, and then the father now looks at us as, as pure and free from that alloy of sin. Because the blood of Christ covers our sins. Lord, that's what we remember and that's what we celebrate as we come to your table together this morning. Thank you. (coughs) Thank you so much for coming to this earth, dying for us, so that we could have the promise of an eternity with you 
one day in heaven. We too say hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Amen? Amen.